Hello. Thanks for joining me. Now, last week, we looked at blessing and beginning. And we realized that there's a need in all people to seek justice and equal treatment under the law so that all people have the basic sense of security. In addition, people of faith, in the Torah's view, the Israelites, need to learn Torah. But all of us need to study God's word. And it was an interesting wrap up of the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of Genesis. And it didn't seem too bad. <laughs> well, this week, it's blatantly obvious that we people can make a mess of things. Without justice, without civil rule, without order, equally applied order. And the vital need of society is not more law, but a moral compass to guide those who create the laws, those who enforce the laws, and the watchful eye of Johnny Q. Public, you and I. Thanks for joining me as we grapple with what it means when Jesus said, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How does that look? What does that mean? Well, thanks for joining me. That's what we're gonna look at. This week, we're gonna read the first Parsha, the first portion of Torah, Genesis 1-1 through chapter six, verse eight. It's called in the beginning or the beginnings. A part of me wants to complete that quote, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, but I'm more inclined to say, in the beginning, it all went to the crapper really fast. It was an epic fail. It's six short chapters in Genesis and covers little more than 1,500 years. Of course, people lived like almost 1,000 years back then, but wow, what a whopper of a mess they could make. So let's dig in. By the end of this portion of Torah, this Parsha, we have read the creation story in three different ways. First, it was very historical. The creation of the physical and spiritual world with precision and order, day one, day two, day three. And we get to the second chapter and there's this shift. In fact, second paragraph, which is the fourth verse in the second chapter. And it says, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth and the heavens, it's like God's intentionally saying, stop, see what I'm doing? I'm going to retell the story so you can see my heart for you. Not just all the stuff. I created this for you. I planted a garden, called it Eden, which means pleasure. Good for you. I put you in it. I caused trees to grow for your food. I put choice in there because I didn't want you there under obligation or as a mindless idiot. There was the choice of the tree of life. You could live forever or the tree of good and evil. You're free to choose me. But alas, we know we chose knowledge. And God went on and said, it's not good for you to be alone. Look at all these animals, these birds, these fish, this garden. It's not enough. I want your participation in this creation. So you give them identity to the animals by naming them. You will provide the substance for your helper that I will create. We'll create her together because we are in this together. It's quite the love story there. It's quite the call and the passion of God for us, his created. 
But of course, along came a spider. No, along came a serpent. (laughs) The serpent beguiled Eve. Now, God wasn't surprised because before this even happened, in chapter 2, verse 17, he said, on the day you eat of it, you will die. It's almost like he knew. Of course he knew. He's outside of time. But Adam didn't know. He probably didn't even catch that little slip in his words. But you and I who know how to study scripture go, oh, wait, he's saying something there. He wouldn't say that. He would say, if you eat it. But he said, when you eat it, you will die. Did Adam have a concept of death? I don't think so. We get to Genesis 3, 3. And Eve is talking with the serpent, and she says something that God didn't say. Adam had to have told her. He kind of created a guardrail, added to what God had said. He loved her, but did he trust her? He loved her, but did he treat her as an equal or as a child? As an equal helper? or someone he had to protect and care for. Well, yes, we want our husbands to protect and care for us, but not to the point where they treat us like children. She said, we are not to touch it or to eat it. Well, you know, it all fell apart from there, right? We got expelled from the garden, and really because of God's love for us, so we couldn't live forever in this sinful state. Then we see Cain kills Abel, children are born, mayhem rules. And then some thousand years later, Noah. Noah will give us comfort from our work and hard labor. It's interesting that he uses the word comfort because we're going to see that word later, but it's not a word that you expect. There doesn't seem to be any structure. There's no justice. There's not even any real organized faith. There's one point where it said that men started to call on the name of the Lord. Why did they stop? Why didn't Adam and Eve teach them to call on the name of the Lord? Why didn't they try to maintain that relationship? Well, my guess is work was really hard. It wasn't like living in Eden. There was no moral compass. There was no order. And finally, in chapter 6, God's had it. He says, my spirit will not contend with man forever. His years will be 120. Wickedness on the earth has become great, and every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Ouch. I don't know about you, but I don't think evil continually. But God goes on. The Lord says, I am sorry, I'm grieved that I made man. And then in verse 7, he goes into a very short, but a third creation account. This short summary that basically says, I will wipe out mankind, the animals, the crawling things, the birds, because I'm sorry that I made them. Now, these two words where the Lord said he was sorry in verse 6, And sorry, in verse 7, is the same word that Noah's father, Lamech, used for Noah when he said he will give us comfort. Very interesting. And in 6-8, where we end this portion, but Noah found favor 
with God. Lamech says that Noah will give us comfort in our hard labor. And then God uses that same exact word to say that he is regretting, sorry that he even created man, that he created this garden. And then the last verse before the story of Noah is, but Noah found favor, that word favor with the Lord. We read this scripture and we think, what did God expect us to do? Okay, so we have to tend the garden and we have to dominate the earth and dominate the birds and the animals and the fish and do this thing. Is this what we are here for? It's not clear what role God plays in that. There isn't any kind of structure for worship or calling on God or having a relationship with God. There's this one small little note, and men started calling on God. What was the point? And what's the point of this story? And why is it important for us to study it and learn it and know it? There doesn't seem to be any structure for society. There doesn't seem to be any leadership within that structure. It's almost like the wild, wild west in America in the 1800s. Anything goes. The strong man wins, and the weak guy, well, better get out of the way. And it is like mass chaos, thus Noah. Now, this took about 1,500 years, a decent percentage of time, and the people lived a very long time. So you one evil person can really cause a lot of havoc on the earth. So where do we find this connection to today? How does this fit? We know God doesn't leave it like this. God doesn't just abandon man, but he actually destroys him. So what is going on and why do we need to know this? Why didn't he just start the word at Noah? You know, he could have made it very even shorter. Well, you know, I created this garden and I put this man in there and then I created this woman out of the man. So, you know, women and men are equal. And they kind of screwed everything up. I destroyed it all. And I started again with Noah. Let me tell you about Noah. Right? You could have made it very, very short. Very, very compact. And I'm not saying it's really long. It's only six small chapters. or Five and a half. Five chapters plus a little bit. But it's significant. We've heard the creation story three times. Different ways. Different presentations. But what is going on? And what is support? What is the pullout? What is the, the gold that we can mine? from this story. There are two trees. He created all these trees, and then there are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know life is really important. We want to live, and ultimately we want to live forever, have this concept of living forever. But it's kind of hard to wrap our human physical brain around this eternity idea. And a lot of people attempt to live their life with the idea that I can create a legacy that can go on through my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren, or it can go on through what I have provided and created for this world, like the person who invented, I don't know, the automobile. The internal combustion engine changed the face of society incredibly, right? Tapping into electricity. Electricity has always been here. 
And yet scientists finally tapped into it and figured out how to use it so that we didn't have to labor quite so hard. Because we use electricity, we can use electricity to heat our homes and to light our, our lights and to keep our food fresh and stay longer so we don't have to hunt every single day. And some people leave a legacy in that way. They leave a legacy through what they've been able to provide for society that changed society or benefited society. Of course, we also have those people who are all out for themselves, but none of you people are those people, so we won't talk about those people. <laughs> you know, those guys. So we have these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of course, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, they got banished from the garden. They got pushed out of the garden. And an angel was set there, a cherubim was set there with this flaming sword that turned every direction to keep them from coming back and eating from the tree of life. Because God didn't want them stuck in their state of sin. And yet it created this barrier, this buffer, which we see really led to the total destruction of society. It was every man for himself. It was the wild, wild west. There was no structure. There was no leadership. There was no law. There was no, this is how you run a society. It was almost like God said, go figure it out. You'll be fine. Of course, I can't be there to guide you or help you. So do we see this tree of life anywhere else? Do we see this cherubim anywhere else? I'm going to take a quick pause here as we have finished up kind of the outline of the, the scripture passage and before we get into how it applies to life today in 2022. And I just want to remind you that this is a value for value podcast. If you're getting value from what I am providing to you, I would ask that you would turn that value into a number. Go to elainecross.com and make a donation. Turn that value into production of this podcast. Help produce it. Help partner with me to provide this freely to all of those who God leads to listen to it so that they can listen to it free. The only value I don't find fair is zero. Unless, of course, it's your first time listening. I'll give you one for free. (laughs) No, I'm not beating down your door. I'm not checking. I'm not putting up a paywall. I'm not getting advertisers. I want you to support this podcast because you believe in what I'm doing. And you're valuing my time that I put into putting this together, writing it, publishing it, and then hosting it. It all takes money. It takes time. This is my full-time job. And I know that I bring great value to you. All I ask is you turn that value into a number and send it back in so that I can continue to provide this freely. For now, let's continue and see how this applies. God places this cherubim on the edge of Eden and says it's going to guard the way back to the tree of life. And the next time we see cherubim mentioned, in fact, the only other time cherubim are mentioned in Torah, the first five books, Moses' books, is in the building of the ark and in relation to that ark. It's always about the ark of the covenant. What is in the ark of the covenant? What are the angels doing? What, What are these cherubim charged with? Well, we know they're charged to protect So let's do the classic elementary school, who, what, where, when, why, with these cherubim. So we've got one cherubim guarding the tree of life, the the real tree of life for the Garden of Eden. 
And then in Exodus, we see this cherubim placed on the Ark of the Covenant. What are they guarding? Inside the Ark of the Covenant are the two tablets of Moses that Moses carved of the Ten Commandments. It kind of represents the word, the law, the establishment of how societies operate with a legal standing. These are our laws, you follow the laws, and there's crime and punishment, right? There's also a cup of the manna that they ate of the whole time they were wandering through the desert. God's provision, the manna for sustenance to keep you alive. And then the third thing that's in the ark is Aaron's rod that burst into blossoms, which was used, of course, to make many of the signs and wonders take place. He used it to touch the rock and open the sea and all different things. The staff was very important to the power of God. This is what the cherubs, the angels, are sitting on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And those are the things that are in there. That is what they are guarding, if you will. When do we see the Ark of the Covenant really come into play in the regular cycle of life for the Jews? Well, that's at the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's the time that one high priest going through special cleansing processes can go into the Holy of Holies and bring the incense of our repentance. And this cloud of incense mingles with the cloud of the presence of God. God's presence comes down to the Ark of the Covenant and it's where we can actually kind of walk with God in the breeze of the day is on Yom Kippur. We can really make that reconnection with God as people in a reflection of what it was like in the Garden of Eden. And who does this? I already mentioned the high priest. One priest goes into the Holy of Holies. One priest brings everything to God and sacrifices the goat and then brings that sacrifice into the Ark of the Covenant and sprinkles it on the Ark of the Covenant so God forgives their sin for the year. Once for all, the whole nation. Where is it placed? It's placed in this Holy of Holies behind these curtains. These actually ten curtains, five on each side, just like the Ten Commandments, representing the physical and the spiritual, and this barrier that's between us and God. And this priest gets to go through that one time a year and enter and, and meet with God there. Why? Because our sin has separated us from God. It separated us from his presence, separated us from our connection, separated us because of our self-desires, our self-serving attitude. We thought we can and do it on our own. And the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant are not like the cherub that was set in the Garden of Eden with the fiery sword trying to block the way to protect people from eating the tree of life and getting stuck in a sin state. These cherubim have their wings outstretched, almost in a welcoming position, in a glorious position. Come, come, come God, come man, come meet here, come together here in this place. And again, what is in this place? Two tablets, the word, the manna, God's provision, and the rod, the blossom representing the Lord's power the word, his provision, his presence, and his power. What a wonderful imagery of life, life eternal, life restored to that original state of the Garden of Eden. 
So where do we see the tree of life? And can we get to that tree of life? Can we get to the ark? The ark of the covenant has been lost for hundreds of years, thousands of years. There is no temple. There is no fully functioning Yom Kippur when they actually have the two goats and the scapegoat goes and the other goat comes and they go into the Holy of Holies. and They don't do that because there's no temple. They haven't done it since uh, Jesus. The year 70 AD is the last time. Well, that was when the temple was destroyed. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. In 30 AD was when the last sacrifice was committed in the temple. And that's because in 30 AD is when Jesus was sacrificed and the veil was torn. Those curtains that blocked the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was destroyed in the earthquake that happened at Jesus's crucifixion. And the earthquake cracked and damaged the temple and it needed to be repaired. And yet, because of all the political things that were going on, they continued to try and practice, but they weren't actually able to reestablish the temple. And then they destroyed the temple and it was gone. And they dispersed the Jews. They were sent out into great dispersia into all the countries. Can we access the tree of life? Is that available to us in 2022? did a search of the tree of life. And I was surprised to find it. The phrase tree of life occurs seven times in the Old Testament. Seven times. Interesting number. The first time, of course, is in Genesis 2-9 when he talks about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's referred to, but it's not called the tree of life. It's called other things. So it's only mentioned once there in chapter 2, verse 9. And then it's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 22, and 3, verse 24. And that's when God is talking about protecting us from the tree of life. And then it's in Proverbs. So it's three times in the books of Moses in the Torah. And then it appears four times in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, Proverbs 11, Proverbs 13, and Proverbs 15 are the only places that the tree of life shows up in the whole Old Testament, the whole Tanakh. The first three times in the book of Genesis, it's all about the Garden of Eden, the original mention of the tree of life, and then the cherubim protecting it. Every time it is referenced in Proverbs, it's referenced in a way that you can obtain it. It says, this is the tree of life. This is the tree of life. This is the tree of life. So, although we're out of the Garden of Eden, God has provided a way for us to access the tree of life. Not the physical fruit of the original tree, but the abundance of it, the blessing of it, the fullness of it. All four references in Proverbs reflect wisdom, knowledge, understanding, that you can gain from reading the Word of God. The Word of God is our tree of life. I know that's a bold statement. I'll go through these very quickly. In Proverbs 3.18, it says, She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. What is she? Wisdom and understanding. Well, we know wisdom is a spirit, the spirit of wisdom. God filled them with the spirit of wisdom. 
God filled them with the spirit of understanding. In Proverbs 11, it says, The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. How do we learn righteousness except by the word of God? Of course, Proverbs is full of teaching on how to live a righteous life. Proverbs 13, 12 says, The hope deferred makes a heart sick, but desired fulfilled is a tree of life. Well, we can have outlandish desires that lead us to hopelessness. I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to get that. But when we live content, as Paul said, I have learned to be content in whatever situation I am, either with abundance or with lack. When we live to be content, our desire is fulfilled, and that's a tree of life. It's a fruit of the tree of life. It's, it's an evidence of the tree of life in your life. And then Proverbs 15, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. So when we use our voice, which is our words, when we express, when we represent Jesus in the world, if we have a soothing tongue, even when we're trying to correct people, and there's a lot of correction in Proverbs 15, and learning how to take counsel and take rebuke. And when we learn to do that, or offer it in an encouraging and uplifting way, we become a tree of life to those around us. Yes, there's people in our life that we have to say, no, I don't want that, or you shouldn't do it that way, right? There's times when we need to offer counsel for someone to do better, and there's times when we need to accept counsel so that we can live better. How can we burn bright? How can we live brightly? How can we let our light so shine that others may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven? Get in the Word. And who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus is our provider. He's our provision, our manna. Jesus has empowered us through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus meets us on the pages of the book, of the Word of God, of the Bible. When you say, Lord, Show me what you have for me today. And he'll show up. Because no father can resist a child who wants to spend time with them. If they love that child, they're going to spend time with them. And God desperately wants to spend time with you. Start getting into the word. Start memorizing scripture. Memorize the verses in Proverbs that talk about what it means to live righteous, to be wise and understanding, to use our voice, our tongue, our words to affirm people, to build people up, even when we're correcting them or when they're treating us poorly. You can know a person by the way they treat other people, especially the people who are under them either in position or standing or title or any way. Some people just think they're better than everybody because they are who they are. Well, we know arrogance is not a good thing. It's not a righteous way to treat each other. I hope you've enjoyed this. I have enjoyed digging into this small portion of scripture and finding these nuggets of gold. And God has nuggets of gold waiting for you. Next week, we're going to look at Noah's story in Genesis, and that runs from Genesis 6-9 through Genesis chapter 11, the whole chapter of 11. Sit down and read it this week. Read it a couple times this week, and every time, call your Heavenly Father. 
Papa, what do you have for me today? What goal are you trying to show me about me? Tell me how you see me. Show me about yourself. Tell me about yourself in this scripture. And it might not seem like a relevant piece of scripture. Well, maybe we should be reading Proverbs, or we should be reading Psalms, or we should be reading whatever your favorite verse is. God can speak to you on every page of the Bible if you just practice listening. How do you live brightly? Listen to God. Follow his leading. Hear his heart for you and hear his heart for others. And then go be the light to others. If you don't know who Jesus is, go to elainecross.com slash Jesus and download your free copy of Connecting to Your True Power Source. It'll walk you through establishing a relationship with Christ, establishing a relationship with God, and learning how to read the Bible and pray and some basic fundamentals of having this relationship. You can send me a question or a comment at donations at elainecross.com. Make a donation. Support this podcast. Support what I'm doing so that it can continue to go on and other people can receive it freely. With that, till next time.